On this AirCheck session, it's part two of a four-part series with radio programmer and consultant Buzz Knight. Buzz is currently founder and head of strategy and innovation at Buzz Knight Media, where he has also launched a podcast of his own entitled Taking a Walk. Here we go. Welcome to AirCheck Season 4, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities, managers, consultants, owners, and your most humble hosts from Philadelphia, Rich DeSisto and Paul Kelly. I'm Rich DeSisto. And I'm Paul Kelly. This is part two of our four-part series with Buzz Knight, a radio and programming executive who has been involved in just about every aspect of the radio business. Buzz tells us why he left the New York Metro radio market to head back to the Buckeye State to program WLVQ. QFM 96, rocking and rolling Columbus, and we trace it back to number one on QFM 96's top five at five. While there, how the station was part of the first rock concert at Ohio Stadium, and his interviews with David Gilmore of Pink Floyd. Now we knew we knew it was a bit better than anything we'd done before. We were aware that we stood a much better chance to uh, sell some records and stuff with that one than we ever stood with anything we'd done before. Mel Blanc. The little Tweety was a little baby bird. I had to give him a baby voice. Oh, I thought I saw a booty cat. I did see a booty cat. And Sylvester was a big floppy cat. Oh, I had to give him a floppy voice. And his run-in with Howard Stern. Put your mouth in front of the microphone, <laughs> in Buzz. In front, all right. Buzz Knight. Now, I've never heard anyone in radio named Buzz Knight before. <laughs> God, is that original. Let's hear it again for Buzz Knight. Buzz, I got to ask, you made it to New York City, the number one market. You're on WNEW-FM, a dream come true for anybody. You're also programming at I-95. It's 1987, and you decide to leave and head back to the Buckeye State. What drew you back there? Tell that story. So it was one of those crossroad moments. I enjoyed the job in Connecticut, and I certainly enjoyed the experience in New York. But I needed to realize that there was a greater depth of experience that was necessary for me as a programmer. And the Connecticut situation with the folks of home news broadcasting and their home news and a gentleman by the name of Ron Tarsi was running things. Ron passed away recently. And then John Fulham, who you guys know, John was also there. That's where I kind of first connected with, with John was in Connecticut. So I just needed to grow as a programmer. And I had had conversations here and there uh, about programming jobs, uh, but none of them were really that appealing. So the opportunity to go back to Ohio, I had known Columbus from my time in Dayton because Bill Pugh, who was a VUD alum, uh, he was the first guy out of VUD to you know, move up to the big market in Columbus. So I was very familiar with Columbus, very familiar with QFM 96 and its kind of legendary status uh, also. So it was time to move and, and grow my programming chops, basically. Hard decision to make, for sure. And what was so cool about it years later, Chernoff used to say to me, are you coming home for Thanksgiving? And I'd say, yeah. And he said, well, you want to play, pay for your plane ticket? Because I got a couple shifts for you. <laughs> so I would come back and still do some shifts even after I had left, which was really a thrill. Hey, yeah, why not? Back on on NEW, uh, briefly or, or otherwise, hell yeah, sign me up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I used to do that on college break too. Midnight to six in Wildwood, New Jersey in uh, December and January. It was a lot of fun. No, nothing better. It shows what maniacs we are for the business, right? Believe me. <laughs> 
in a good way. I want to ask about WVUD. You mentioned Bill Pugh coming out of there, and that's what I was wondering. What other names came out of your university radio station that are in and around the radio industry? Well, the guy who did sports uh, on that station uh, was a guy by the name of Dan Patrick, who ultimately (laughs) created uh, a little career for himself and a little niche. So Dan and his brothers, Bill Pugh and actually Dave Pugh, who are still associated, Dave's still associated as a market manager. So there was the the Pews came out of there. There was a guy named Alan McConnell, who was a great personality, who would become Mike McConnell as a great uh, talk show host. Actually, he's from originally Media, Pennsylvania. That's where he grew up. Boy, I feel like I'm forgetting someone uh, who's going to kill me out of out of the uh, the business. But uh, Tony Smith is a label guy for Disney. Tony uh, worked on the radio station. A great guy. Jeff Vargo was our program director, so he was technically the first program director. Jeff would go on to a great career. Uh, working in management for a few companies, one in particular out of the the Midwest. So it was a a great group of (laughs) rabble-rousers. Columbus is a great town and Rich knows about a a pretty cool story that happened there at LVQ. Yeah, uh, during your time there at WLVQ, QFM 96, Buzz, in the late 80s, I think it was the spring of 1988. As you know, Ohio State was preparing to allow the stadium on campus, that monster capacity coliseum, uh, to host the very first uh, rock concert, Pink Floyd's Momentary Lapse of Reason, I believe it was the second leg. Now, I was there 10 years later to see the Stones Bridges to Babylon tour. That's a pretty spectacular place to see anything for that matter. Ohio Stadium is huge. And that must have been a pretty big deal, especially for the hometown radio station there. Oh, my God. It was it was like, boy, just all hands on deck to make that special. And um it was a big buzz in the in the community for sure. We put some marketing behind it, which was uh, something that happened quite frequently with that, those stations. Remember marketing? Remember marketing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we we did a whole takeoff on uh, Floyd the Barber from the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> so there was like a picture of uh, a pig in pink and Floyd the Barber. We did a, a little billboard campaign uh, out of that. So this was an electric time for music and for the touring business and getting Pink Floyd at that time was was an amazing uh, thrill. The show was spectacular. Uh, we had access to the band uh, before and during the event. Welcome. We are so charged. We are so charged for Pink Floyd. You have just lit this whole town on fire, David. I don't know if uh, you're aware of that, whether you, whether you are or not. But it's happening. Everyone is all pumped for the big show. This is the first rock and roll concert that's going to be taking place at Ohio Stadium. Were you aware of that? No, I wasn't. And uh, I understand it's also going to be the largest uh, crowd that you'll be playing to on the second leg of the tour. It's going to be packed to the rafters with uh, 68,000, I would say, 65 to 68,000. Jesus Christ. (laughs) We produced it with the same sort of aspiration and intent the way, you know, frankly, I was taught by people like Charlie Kendall and Mark Chernoff with an NEW type of event and that you still see done to this day with the great Bill Weston and how he does his programming in Philadelphia. So we were into, you know, making events out of events and really getting excited about it. And uh, one great story out of that is I was still on the air at that time. And uh, right as the day was progressing uh, and the show would be that night, David Gilmore 
you know, does a call in to my show. I welcome him right at the beginning of the interview and uh, he instantly drops the F-bomb in the interview. <laughs> Am I speaking to uh, David Gilmore? You are. <laughs> How you doing? I didn't want to, you know, during this little commercial break, let you let you sit there hanging. That would be the unfair welcome into town, I think, wouldn't it? Well, what the fuck? <laughs> I ignored it, of course. And uh, But later, when I saw him at the show, he was laughing about that, and I was laughing, and he, we just thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> when you made Dark Side of the Moon, for example, did it did it appear to you that it was such a momentous a momentous thing as it is now? I mean, it's uh, you know it's it's obviously been talked about so much about the the history of it on the charts and whatnot. I mean, how did it feel actually in the making of Dark Side of the Moon um, in terms of you know just how special it felt? Oh, we knew from the first day it sold sell 19 million and be on the Billboard charts for 20 years. I mean, we knew that's what... <laughs> you planned it that way. You expected it to be that way. And look it, it happened that way. No, we knew we knew it was a bit better than anything we'd done before. I mean, we, we were aware that we stood a much better chance to uh, sell some records and stuff with that one than we ever stood with anything we'd done before. Um, and we were right. So speaking of Dark Side of the Moon, let's fast forward to your, your next stop on the radio dial, WZLX in Boston. First off, what a radio market Boston it was and still is. I mean, the big rock guns at the time, uh, AAF, BCM, BOS, ZLX. I mean, it was just a powerhouse. And you were the PD, I, I believe, from 92 to 2002. Uh, talk about the uh, – and you tell me if this was all from this guy's uh, perspective or did it come from somebody else. But George Taylor Morris – in 1997, he was part of this big frenzy uh, about Dark Side of the Moon and the Wizard of Oz. Is that is is that an urban legend or is that true? It's absolutely true. George, uh, the late George, was an amazing guy to know and work with as well. And somehow through his circle, he had heard about the whole syncing up Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon. Boston disc jockey George Taylor Morris touched off a national frenzy recently when he mentioned on air the bizarre correlation between Pink Floyd's 1973 album Dark Side of the Moon and the 1939 movie classic The Wizard of Oz. I just mentioned it just briefly on the air that if you play The Dark Side of the Moon against The Wizard of Oz as a soundtrack, all of these amazing coincidences happen. Here's how it works. Play The Wizard of Oz from the top and wait for the MGM lion to appear. He owned it, if you will, and ran with it and turned it into a bigger thing, got a lot of press out of it. Others knew about that trick, but I think George being a showman and knowing how to you know, create some buzz, George ran with it. And I think George got just as much ownership of it uh, as anybody because he just really owned the premise, had fun with it. We did some events around it and it was really a pretty cool thing. And it was a reminder that, you know, if you're programming a station that plays old music, basically, you need to find these touch points in the moment to just get uh, excited about. I was actually before that at WNOR in Norfolk, uh, Virginia, which was a mainstream rock station uh, as well. But that was part of that DNA there as well. Make a big thing out of things that are, you know, in the current moment so you stay top of mind, so you stay relevant, so you stay excited about what you're doing. When you're able to be influenced by some great uh, teachers that I've mentioned, I mentioned Steve Goldstein as well as a great teacher, you get motivated and get your staff motivated and couldn't do it without great staffs and great support people and the great energy and respect and, and uh, room to do things from ownership in each, 
each case. This is an Air Check Rewind, Season 2, Kid Chris. I ended up sending in bits to Casey to see what would happen. And then one night, you know, because on the West Coast, Stern would air live from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., then they would start it over for drive time. I got a call at like 4 in the morning from the board ops screaming at me into the phone. He's like, Stern's playing your O.J. Simpson prank calls. And I was like, oh my God. And I remember jumping up going, what is this? This is insane. Air Check, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities. Seasons 1 and 2 available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. You can also listen on your smart speaker. Just say, Alexa, play Air Check Podcast or OK Google, play Air Check Podcast. Well, here's a segue, Buzz. Let's go from 1939's The Wizard of Oz to 1937's Daffy Duck. How do we do that? Well, uh, with another amazing talent that you had a moment with while on the air in Columbus, the great Mel Blanc. Talk about that encounter. It was one of those moments where I came in to do the show and um, our promotion director, another dear friend I'm still in touch with, one of the great guys in the business, Mark Munch Bishop. Uh, Mark comes in and Mark was always, to this day, he's like shot out of a cannon. So this was one of those moments he comes in and goes, hey, I've got Mel Blanc calling in to promote this the theater uh, event for one of his reissues. Do you want to talk to him? It's like, do I want to talk to him? Are you kidding me? This is Mel freaking Blank. If I was to ask uh, Daffy Duck, who of course is the subject of the Duxorcist, which is one of the reasons why we're able to be talking to you. If I was to ask Daffy Duck, Daffy, does does Mel Blank have the best job in the world? How, what would Daffy have to say about that? Oh yes, he does have the best job in the world. <laughs> I'd like to have it, yes sir. I'd like to have it myself. <laughs> <laughs> How did you stumble upon that voice, and and what what's the story behind it? Well, you know, uh, they showed me this crazy duck, and they said he's Daffy. He's all his name implies and at the end he does a crazy laugh so i thought i'd make him sound a little uh, you know confused in his uh, in his uh, speech so i put a little spray on the end of it with a little laugh at the end <laughs> so it was one of those things i didn't get to prepare for but i didn't need to prepare for because i was such a fan for everything that he stood for you know i mean this is somebody you grew up with and was still somebody who made you smile so um that was really a, a, a joy. I always hoped for the opportunity to meet him in person. That never happened, but I was privileged to get to have that interview with him. Another interview that, I don't know, went the way you might have thought or didn't expect it to go. You're standing in a hallway at a Grammy presentation. Howard Stern comes up beside you, a little off-mic chit-chat, and then the ball busting begins. It's Buzz Night for QFM 96, live from Grammy Week in New York City. And uh, you having a good time, Howard Stern, this week? Uh, Yeah, this is uh, really exciting. Uh, you guys are really going far, aren't you? This is some <laughs> career for you guys. How long have you been in the business, Buzz? Oh, I don't know, about 10 years or so. 10 years, and you're yeah. working in Columbus? Columbus, all <laughs> right. right. Yeah, that's real. you got to feel good about your career decision, huh? I do. It's going It's going very well. I'm I don't know. Excited. After 10 years, if I was in Columbus, I'd say, you know, maybe I could do something else. No, but actually, you're good. You're very talented. <laughs> How do you know? You're, you're very reading, talented guy. You're reading cue well, cards so far, very well. Well, you're talking very nice. In fact, you're about three feet off the microphone. That's real good. Your microphone <laughs> technique is awesome. Put your mouth in front of the microphone, in Buzz. In front, all right. Buzz Knight. Now, I've never heard anyone in radio named Buzz Knight before. <laughs> God, is that original? <laughs> Come on now. Hey, what happens if you guys dial 1-800-52-STERN? 1-800-52-STERN, is that where... I wonder if that works from Ohio. Video? Yeah, your video I just put there? out a new videotape, actually. I'm wondering... Try it. See if you can get through on it. 1-800-52-STERN. There's a lesbian dial-a-date. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a man who lights his private parts on fire. <laughs> 
We dare not say penis in Ohio. We dare not say that. Well, no way we'll say penis. Well, you just but, said uh, it. There's so. a man who lights his private parts on fire on the videotape and uh, while trying to cook an egg, and he has to rip <laughs> off his underpants because he almost burns up. Yeah, that was that was these events. Uh, there was a guy by the name of John McGann who passed away. John was a great programmer and showman, a uh, creative guy. And John produced these events. They were live from Grammy Week events. So this was a event that would occur either New York or LA, depending on where the Grammys were that year. And it was really, you know, a roundtable uh, conversation with uh, celebrities coming through. So Howard was at K-Rock then, and he was doing his his show, as uh, were we from Columbus and others at, at the event in New York. I'm trying to remember where physically that, that was. It was probably like a large hotel ballroom type of thing. So the booker comes around typically and says, okay, I've got this one, I've got this person. And you pretty much take most people. There might be some stuff you go, "Eh, I don't really need to talk to a soap opera star. That's okay. Even though we did, but uh, you know, you could kind of yay or nay. So uh, they pitched Howard. That was an automatic yes for me because I had had history with him. He was actually, no joke, the first program director who took a phone call from me when I had gotten out of college. He was at WRNW and Briarcliff Manor as program director then. Hi, I'm Howard Stern, the program director of Westchester's Rock Station. You know, it's really hard to describe what makes a radio station a success. We here at WRNW have narrowed it down to a very few special elements. And I remember calling and, you know, him picking up the phone and in his, you know, Howard voice then, which was extremely nasal, Howard saying, I know, I don't have anything for you, but, you know, if I think of something, you know, he's very nice. So then fast forward, and when they asked on the uh, go-round whether you want to talk to Howard, he was like, sure, no brainer. It was really, really a cool uh, experience, and I'm glad I had that opportunity to be busted by uh, the king of all media. Wow, pretty good stuff. Some great stories and more to come. Yes, this is part two of four with Buzz Knight. And in our next episode, Buzz highlights his love for the annual Consumer Electronics Show. He proudly speaks of the great work his voice and others within the National Association of Broadcasting accomplished when it came to better audience measurement. Buzz also offers his advice for newcomers getting into the radio business and lets us in on a little innovation project he's working on to save AM radio. You can follow us, stream, and download every episode of AirCheck on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play AirCheck Podcast. If you haven't done so, give us a great rating. We'd also love to hear from you on our Facebook page, AirCheck Me. This is Rich DeSisto. And I'm Paul Kelly. We'll see you. Closing out another episode of AirCheck, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities. If you have radio stories to share, we'd love to hear from you. Join the AirCheck guest list. Email aircheckme at gmail.com. Musical props are Chris Gordon's. Announcer props, I'll take those. Greg O'Brien, the OB. AirCheck is available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play AirCheck Podcast. AirCheck is the creation of RDPK Productions.